Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Now, I was, I was going to pull that thread a little bit because it's interesting that you said sometimes you have to break some things to figure it out. Were there any oh. habits or ways of thinking that you had to break or undo or God had to break or undo along your journey to get you to where you are? Just to, to have the confidence and the trust, the trust, because I have I, I've been very honored in, in my surgical career that I've had times when I have literally felt like I was watching myself operate. Wow. I was, yeah, I was doing things that I know were gifts from God because I wouldn't tell a patient this, but I wasn't that good in that situation. <laughs> okay. But I, I literally, I literally have felt like I was watching God operate. Wow. And uh, that that was uh, that was something that uh, that was just incredible to me, and I never get used to that. Welcome to the Dear Son podcast. This is a safe space where men share their fatherhood journey. These conversations are transparent and, more importantly, vulnerable. Now, because each fatherhood story is situationally nuanced, some topics are heavier than others. The commonality found amongst all the guests is a genuine desire to help and inspire other men through telling their story. And now, here's your host, Derek Johns. Derek Johns. Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men have vulnerable conversations about the fatherhood journey. Sometimes those conversations are heavy. Sometimes they're light. Changes from guest to guest. I never know till I start the show. Today, we got a great one. We got a general surgeon in the virtual studio. Please welcome Dr. Eric Yancey to the Dear Son Podcast. How are you, my brother? Doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? Man, I'm, I'm fantastic. I am excited to get some uh to get some education to get some learning and to just kind of talk through uh your fatherhood story because i know you have one sure but help us orient the people to what you do you're a general surgeon how did you how did you fall into the practice was it a 
a passion from a young age. How did you get into the health and the medical field? Well, it was it was something I wanted to do since I was about seven years old. And uh, I read a book in elementary school called The Making of a Surgeon. Mm. And most of it I had not a clue as to what I was reading. Right. But um, I, I, I felt like that was something I wanted to find out about. Yeah. And so by the time I got to medical school, um, I narrowed everything down to OBGYN and general surgery. And then I realized that the only thing I liked about OBGYN was the fact that they got to operate sometimes. Mm. So because the babies, they come when they feel like coming. And I didn't, you know, I, if they came from nine to five, I'm OK, but not 2 a.m., <laughs> not 2 a.m. Right. So I got uh, involved in general surgery and I was blessed enough to get a, uh, a general surgery residency, which is uh, pretty hard to come by. Mm. And uh, every, the first time I went in the operating room, I knew I was home. Knew you were yeah, home. I knew so how long, how long have you been in the field? Uh, since 97, 1997. Okay. Yes, yeah, I graduated. A little, little while, a little while now. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, what you saw at the age of seven. Other than that book, was there anything that was modeled before you that kind of influenced you to lean into that field as well or... Let's kind of talk about your, your your family dynamic at a young age. Sure. Not not so much that led me to lean into that field, but I saw that there was no other uh, possibility for anything that didn't involve work. Hmm. And uh, I saw my father get up and go to work every single day, most of the time, seven days a week. Right. And I saw my mother uh, get up and go to work at least four to five days a week. So all I knew growing up was unless it's the weekend and sometimes even then you wake up and you go to work. Right. And that's all I saw. And then you came home and you got your body cleaned up and you ate and you went to bed and you started all over again. Yeah. So I, that's that's what I saw. And so there was no no issue about um, I don't understand to this day people who uh, don't want to work. I don't yeah. understand people who say I want to retire early. I, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I can't embrace that because if I'm not working, then I'm not being productive. And so I, I, I don't get it. I don't know what that's like. That's 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 really interesting. I'm not going to let on too much about how I feel about that right now, <laughs> because I, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of of, of impact, right? And sure. it doesn't mean um, less work; it means smarter work, right? Okay. Work that goes further. But I wonder, other than seeing it modeled, what was the tone of the house with your mother and your father working? all the time did you see any frustrations any kind of resentment from them having to work where it appeared maybe they wish they had more time to be with the family or, or was that just the the era of you you work and that's that's the expectation no i i can't say it's an interesting question because you're making me reflect and i don't remember ever seeing frustration that i have to work right because when the work was over, and this is when back in the time when I thought all jobs had a start point and an end point, 
And uh, once that endpoint came, the rest of the time was yours. And they seemed to take advantage of that. Yeah. You know, my mother would get off work and, and take us to the beach or she would always cook. Or my father was always doing something else besides working. So I'm not saying the frustration wasn't there, but mm -hmm. I, I never saw a disdain for, for having to go to work. I never saw that. I, I think that's awesome because I, I mean, my generation, I, I would I would go out on a limb and say that we work significantly less. We don't work as hard as generations past. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of frustration. I've seen it in my life and, uh, you know, my family environment. Um, I, I've been frustrated with the rat race. So it's, it's interesting that for a generation that clearly worked harder, that they're. Uh, they managed it well, right? Like you said, you didn't see necessarily see it, but they managed it well. So that's, I think, I think that's, that's fantastic because that's one of my struggles is I was working so hard trying to achieve this thing, right? This, this mm -hmm. promotion, this, this title, and it was still leaving me feeling empty, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had the professional achievement, but it didn't, it, it didn't satisfy me. So I wonder in your profession, how much of the work that you do is driven by its fulfillment for your life or how much of it feels like a chore day in and day out? Well, the, the interesting part about it is I I, I knew that I, I um, if I found something and I know this sounds very cliche and almost archaic, but I knew if I found something I enjoyed. I would not consider it work. And until this moment, I don't consider being in the operating room working. Yeah. I consider sitting at my desk dealing with paperwork and back and forth with insurance companies and staff and some patients' complaints, even though they got nothing really to complain about. That's that's work. Yeah. But being in the operating room, it, it, it's not work. That that I do not consider that work. That's that's yeah. my arena right there. So in essence, I tell some people by strict definition, I got a part time job because uh, when I'm in, I'm in the operating room, I'm not working. I'm having fun. I'm challenged hmm. by the anatomy and I'm trying to manipulate something that God put together and something may have went a little bit awry. And then I get the privilege of, uh, of, of physically correcting that. Yeah. And uh, that's that, that's kind of a, that, that that's a stimulus because every patient is different. Every single case is different. I mean, I can line up five right inguinal hernia repairs and they're all going to be different. Every mm. single one of them. No, no two patients anatomy is exactly the same. And so you, you stay challenged every yeah. second that you that you're doing that. That that makes a lot of sense that the uh, variety plays a part into it in in the you, you seem like you're just inquisitive by nature. Exactly. Was, was that exactly. the case from from childhood? And and, yeah. and how did that help or hurt you along the way? Well, it, it hurt a lot when you looking at a brand new toy that moves <laughs> and makes noise and, and you aren't satisfied with that. You know, it's like, well, why why does that car move in that direction? Let right. me find out. And unfortunately, you got to go through some things. You got to break some things to, <laughs> yeah. to to get that out. And that was not the goal of you being given this toy. Yeah. So you, you got to suffer the consequences behind that kind of thing. 
And uh, very, but it was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was I was going to pull that thread a little bit because it's interesting that you said sometimes you have to break some things to figure it out. Were there any oh. habits or ways of thinking that you had to break or undo, or God had to break or undo along your journey to get you to where you are? Just to to have the confidence and the trust, the trust, because I have I, I've been very honored in, in my surgical career that I've had times when I have literally felt like I was watching myself operate. Wow. I was, yeah, I was doing things that I know were gifts from God because I wouldn't tell a patient this, but I wasn't that good in that situation. Okay. But I, I literally, I literally have felt like I was watching God operate. Wow. And, uh, that, that was, uh, that was something that, uh, that was just incredible to me. And I never get used to that. Never. ever. So, I'm glad you said that. Cause so the world, the popular phrase today, or it may be a little bit outdated is like, we'll call that your zone of genius. Mm, okay. What, what does that feel like? And does it spill over into other aspects of your life where you weren't as confident, but seeing yourself from that kind of out of body experience? We're not saying that, but I get the, I get the the correlation. Mm. Did did that help you overcome some other things in other areas of your life where you knew you were this great in one aspect of your life? Did it help you work through any challenges where you weren't as confident? Or do you still have areas where you're not as as, well, as confident I, in your life? I do. I do have some areas. I'm I'm better at some things than others, yeah. and and I know that I if I have a positive intent and if I have no malice and no selfishness that I'm bringing to the table, that that I'm I'm doing all I can right. to give God something to bless. Yeah. And so I try to stay in those areas where I'm not guilty of, of selfishness or ill intent or, or gain personal gain. Yeah. And that way I know that I can, I feel like I can call on God because I'm not trying to do something that's uh, going to harm anybody. Yeah. And uh, so, no, it, it, it helps a lot. Helps a lot. Let's uh, we we sped up through your life a little bit, and that's uh, that's on me. Let's let's talk about your relationship with your father. Earliest memories of your interactions with him. What kind of support was he in your life throughout your life? Well, his earlier, a younger, his his support was was simply being there. Um, my father was uh, was a World War II veteran and a Korean conflict veteran. Wow, and that that generation didn't do a lot of talking. They showed very little emotion, stoicism for whatever reason. Right, and uh, I uh, I laugh now in my job when I hear these grown men coming to me complaining about anything because my father died at seventy nine. I never one time heard him complain about a physical ailment or discomfort. Not once. Mm. Not once. And so from that, I learned to, to not make excuses. Yeah. Um, and looking back, I, I think, I think he could have been getting a little bit more, uh, compassionate sure. than, uh, than he allowed to come to the, to the surface, but getting older, I realized he was, he was from a different genre. Yeah. And uh, there were a different set of requirements and expectations and certain things he could not show. Yeah. But uh, in addition to his stoicism, I also never saw fear. 
never saw fear, never heard complaining. And he just did what he had to do. He never got excited, never lost his temper. Never, never yeah. that I saw. And um, that's not my track record, but that's, that's his, <laughs> right. track, his track record. And so I, I learned to appreciate that even now, the older I get. So, Do you think, um, I, I want to go back because you said most things that he could not show. Right. Talk a little bit more about that, because I wonder specifically if you had a conversation with him about that, or are these just things that you picked up, you observed through your interactions with him that, he or that representation of men don't do these specific things. Right. No, I never, unfortunately, I never had the conversation because I, I accepted. He had, mm. uh, he had so many positives that um, I, I, you know, I, I never felt like I could go to my dad and say, you know, you could be a better person if you had blah, blah, blah. I, I, I didn't feel like I had that liberty to, to yeah. do that for various reasons. <laughs> yeah. But um, in, in looking back on it, I um, I think that like with, if I did something well, if I performed well in school or at some, you know, he used to he used to watch me play uh, some sports in the neighborhood. I was no great athlete, but I tried real hard. Gotcha. And so gotcha. he he never had a compliment for me. He never said nice 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 game. Uh, good grades, uh, keep up the good. Never, never, yeah. never. And, was there a correction when you weren't doing well? Well, yeah, if it got to him. See, my goal was to not let that side of me <laughs> gotcha. ever, ever become in, uh, come before him. Yeah. But uh, if, if there are things that needed to be corrected, he, uh, he, he dealt with them. He dealt yeah. with them. Uh, you didn't want to see him upset, not because of what he would do, but just because I knew he didn't deserve for me to upset him. And so it, I, I didn't want him to, to be upset. And just knowing that that was the case was enough punishment for me. Yeah, that, that I like the way you framed it. He did not deserve for you to be upset with him. No, he didn't. He didn't. What what what? In your your parenting approach today, or th throughout your parenting approach, how much mm -hmm. of your father's approach shows up in how you parent? The biggest thing I think, now of course, you know, this is just my assessment, but the biggest thing I think I bring is that a, a solid, solid work ethic, mm. and uh, and also a, a, I I do incorporate compassion with, with yeah. my kids. My was. My goal to, was to allow my kids to think that I was approachable about any subject. Um, I never felt like that I could just, even as a kid, I could just go and, and crawl up in my dad's lap. I never felt that way. Yeah. And one of the most gratifying moments of my childhood was when one of my kids will come and just put his arm on his or her arm on my shoulder or just you know, lay down beside me or put their feet across my lap because I, I never, never did that. Never. Yeah. How, how did you get to that place where you, you made a decision that your approach would be different? What, what, what were the influences that that caused that that greater level of or, or, or bore, birthed that greater level of compassion in you? Well, I, I, I felt like I knew I was conscious of the fact that something was missing. Mm. 
I, I, could, I, I felt that we could have had a better relationship, as I described, a more physical relationship. Yeah. And uh, when, with my sons, I was determined not to shower them with, with things, which, was, which I easily could have done. But my goal was to shower them with, with attention and with me. Yeah. And so, and, and, and I think that I achieved that just by their interaction now that they're all, you know, of a beyond minor age. Right. But I, I just, I grew up with that, knowing that that deficit was there. And uh, again, I dare not talk about it uh, to him, but right. I, I just felt like that it, 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 it could have been there. I think I would have been happier. I better have been more content, maybe even a little more self-confident. I don't know. Hmm. But I, I knew something was missing, and for whatever reason, it just uh, he just didn't see a need to uh, to to be that kind of a man. Gotcha. At, at what stage of life did you have children? Because I'm I'm interested in how you were, what the the work life balance was like. If you had children doing med school or as you were starting out in your career, I can imagine it's is very demanding of your time and in your mental capacity to a large degree. Sure. Well, my, my daughter was born uh, during my fourth year of medical school. She's my oldest. Uh, my other two kids were born after I had completed residency and okay. was working. And so uh, my daughter's mother worked, worked hard to work around my schedule. Okay. You know, when it was nice outside on the weekend, she would bring my daughter up to the hospital and we sit out and have a little picnic out of the back of the car and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah so they, they did a lot to, uh, to, to keep the exposure as maximum as it could be when you're working 125 hours a week. So yeah, they, they helped in that a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm assuming that's a realistic number. I, I've, no, it's real. It's yeah. real. <laughs> it's and I'm real. just, I'm just thinking, cause I, I've the most I've worked consistently. Uh, I did a year in Iraq with a contractor. We worked seven twelves mm-hmm. and that was like numbing, right? You, yeah. you're, in a, you're in a war zone. All there is to do is work, eat, work out. And it, it, it put some strain on my family um, mm-hmm. that, that took some time to repair. Were there ever any points where, you felt like you had to make a decision about career versus family. And how did you navigate through that? No, I, I, I didn't. The only, the only thing that got my attention was I, I took my daughter to the park one day and uh, I fell asleep. Wow. Fell asleep in the park with her and I woke up with her, you know, beating me on the chest saying, yeah. you know, daddy, wake up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that was what, what made me think, you know, I need to time this out differently. But I knew I was doing something I enjoyed. Yeah. And so I, if I had let that go, I, I would have resented having made that decision. Mm. So I just had to find a way to say, OK, well, I can't I can't hang out with you when I'm post call. And so, you know, we'll we'll get together in the morning or something, something along those lines. But uh, no, I had to find a way to make it happen because I didn't I was enjoying what I was doing, but I also loved my offspring. Yeah. And so I, I just had to find a way. I had to find a way to make it work. I, th- I think that's key. Uh, as, I, as I alluded to before, I, I, I had so much frustration built up from 
my hamster wheel chase of success. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I wasn't defining success properly, right? It was, okay. it was all, always tied to the next thing, a promotion or, or some monetary value. And, I, and like I said, it was empty. How, how did you define success throughout your career? Does it look today the way it did early? Were you consciously thinking of what success meant for you and your family? Well, succession, success to me at that time was just completing the task. Mm. Um, I went to a medical school in Richmond, Virginia that uh, had a very low graduation rate for African-Americans. Wow. And it also, like I said, very, very few um, people get into, black people get into a surgical residency. So I, I had to finish. So the success for me was just completing the program. And once the program was completed, then it's like, okay, you know, now it's just a matter of how to use this. Yeah. And so that made it a little bit easier because the gratification was not in any, any, any monetary benefits that were waiting. It was that I finished it. Yeah. And uh, it's like somebody said, uh, I couldn't do it again. And somebody else said, you don't have to. And so that that was the biggest thing. The biggest thing wasn't when I was at the head of the operating room table or I was in private practice or I was in solo practice or I established bariatric programs. No, the biggest thing was I finished the course. And so nothing was going to top that feeling. Wow. So, so how did you do you think some of your the characteristics that you saw in your, your father in terms of being mild mannered, help you manage that pressure? Cause I, I'm, I'm not gonna believe that you didn't sense that there was some level of pressure getting through that mm -hmm. course, getting through school to position you for the greater that was after that, right? I get that that was the hard right. part, but how did you, were you even conscious of, of managing that kind of pressure? Yeah, I, I was because like I said, the, the older I got and the more I look back on, um, on what it must have been like for him being a uh, a solid uh, blue collar person yeah and the limitations on blue collar salaries and 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 where that slots you in the economic spectrum yeah and yet even in the midst of all of that there was there was no drinking there was no smoking there was no hanging out it was none of that and whatever i needed i, I had Mm. And so I'm like, if he surmounted those pressures, yeah, who am I? Who am I to say that um, I don't like sleeping in this hospital bed, you know, six nights a month? I, I, my, what I had to go through didn't measure to, to, to what he had to go through. And yeah. if he managed that without ending up with a violent criminal record, then right. certainly I, I should be able to manage what I'm going through. How how much of that did you understand through conversations with him, or was it more just so observing? Because like I, you know, my my dad is from an, an older school as well, mm -hmm. and his father, mm -hmm. you know, that the communication wasn't there. And even between me and him, it's it's much better than it was now. But like, there's a it, it's a snowball effect of 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 generations not communicating. But you seem to have picked up a lot of cues from being around your dad. And I just wonder if there were, were there just very few, but, but significantly meaningful conversations with him, or is this all you just observing and it wasn't, and it, up? It, it wasn't conversations. It was just, just being around him. 
mm. going with him to to when the car needed to be worked on and how he interacted with a mechanic and yeah. things he would tell me to, 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 to that he was listening out for or when when uh, he had decided it was okay for me to have a car and just being there and watching how he interfaced with with the car salesman or and, and things like that and so yeah. it, it was it was not conversation it was just i was there and one of the biggest events was when i um he worked in newport new shipyard hmm. for my entire life and when i worked they started working there during summers they had a summer program and hearing other people talk about him and then seeing what his work environment was like and how often and how many decades he just dealt with that. And yeah. so, no, it wasn't conversational. It, it was observation and sensitivity. It really gotcha. Yeah. All right. We're going to pause right here for a break from our sponsor, but there's a word that keeps coming up in this conversation and it is compassion. So I want to talk a little bit more about compassion and what it means to you. Uh, when we come back, we'll be right back. What's good, fam? I know you're enjoying the episode, but I am excited to share with you today a brand new sponsor to the DSP family. Tate Wellum, T-A-T-E-W-H-A-L-U-N, Tate Wellum. High fashion accessories, watches. I mean, the timepieces are exquisite. If I do say so myself, I prefer the executive collection. There are several to choose from. What I need you to do is head over to their website, T-A-T-E. W-H-A-L-U-N dot com. When you get to check out after you filled your basket with all the things that I know you're going to find there, use the code the DSP, T-H-E-D-S-P for 20% off. They'll know that I sent you Tate Wellen, black owned, responsibly managed, new sponsor to the podcast. I look forward to the continuing partnership. God bless. Back to the show. All right. We are back. And... Uh, like I said, before we, we went into the break, you keep using the word compassion. What, what is, what, why is that word, um, so important to you and, and what do you see? How does it fit into your life and how you live your life today? Well, the, the thing that I, I, um, I was thinking about, I used to have a long commute, like an hour and a half one way. Mm. And, um, I, I was thinking about a lot of different things in different times. And then one day I said to myself, if I, if I died, what regrets would I have? Hmm. And the thing that just kept coming to the forefront of my mind was kindness and compassion. Hmm. I would have, I wish I would have been a more compassionate person. Yeah. And like I said, when I if I could have changed something about my dad, I wish that I, I would have experienced that from him. Right. Because we, you know, we're, we're, we're men and there's certain things that we have to do, but we also have this whole negative connotation on, uh, on compassion. I yeah. mean, you want to insult a black man, tell him he's soft. Well, you know, why yeah. why am I soft? Because I care how somebody else feels. Yeah. Why does that make me soft? Because I'm I'm considerate of and, and empathetic. What's yeah. wrong? What's wrong with that? That means I'm no that doesn't take away from me being a protector and a provider. Right. 
And so it's room for those things to, to be there. And certainly you are never going to find, um, uh, as you, before you're married, a girlfriend, and you're certainly not going to find a wife that said, I wish you had been less compassionate. Hmm. You know, that you would never hear those words. Right. Or less kind or less considerate. Yeah. You, you're never going to hear that. And, um, Stephen Wonder has one of he's my favorite artist, and he in one of his songs he said, "Kindness knows no shame, mm-hmm. none." And so it's that's that's something that I just feel like is is missing in uh, in that African African American male persona. It's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, has it been the same? As far as you can remember, have you seen any? Do you notice any changes at this stage of your life? Uh, comparing it to how you grew up and, you know, early man, early years of adulthood or is it was the theme still the same in your opinion? Well, what I what I saw, I, I spent, um, you know, everybody's life has twists and turns. Sure. And I spent uh, six months uh, living with my brother, his wife, and they had one child, a son. And I watched my brother interface with his son. And, and it was it was incredible to mm. me. Yeah. You know, his his son, he and his son truly bonded. They they were just they they were just inseparable. Yeah. And um and and I and I like that. And and uh and I was just I've always was I know it's it's a strange word to use now, but I was envious of that relationship. Yeah. And I had just said I saw the kind of kid that Jason was having benefited from that. Yeah, And I had said, you know, and I had no kids at the time. And I was like, when, when my turn at parenthood comes, that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's what I want to be. That that's uh, I, I was, I'm pretty conscious. I'm way more conscious of it now and how I display it with my son specifically. And that's really how this podcast was born. I, I realized mm-hmm. that my oldest son, Donovan was the age that I was when I stopped wanting to, to be around my dad, right? I just didn't want to be around him. I didn't want information from him. And that, that, that caused me to learn a lot of lessons that I probably could have taken the information and not the lesson, right? Right. When I got into the world. So it, it, I I found myself and I've said it before being more of a fun dad, right? I, I found myself being the parent that my wanted my dad to be when I was 14. Mm-hmm. But, but what does a 14 year old know about parenthood? Right. So it, it became the struggle of w- which way is too far? Which way do I want to lean? Do I want do I want my son to like me? Do I want him to respect me? Can, can both things occur at the same time? Did, did it ever impact or paralyze your relationship with your son um, at any point? Just the, the ability or inability to, to, to show compassion as you wanted to. Well, that that was that was the thing. I was determined that those barriers were not going mm. to exist in, in my interface with him. Yeah. And if you ask him, he would he would certainly say, well, my dad could have bought me more things. But yeah, that wasn't the goal. You know, my goal was I want you to know that I'm here for you. Yeah. And uh, we were riding in the car one Christmas Eve and. uh some homeless person was, you know, at the little, the, the turn signal, blah, blah, blah. And I gave the guy some money and he said, well, dad, why did you do that? And I said, uh, cause he, you know, he probably just needed some help and yeah. uh, we were able to help. And he said, 
to me, have I ever helped you when you needed some help? And I said, more times than you'll ever know. Wow. And at that point, I'm I'm thinking that he sees me as, as a companion. He right. sees this as, as, as give and take kind of thing. Yeah. And another time he, I had bought, I used to buy lotion, 10 bottles at a time. <laughs> okay. And, and so... <laughs> And so he counted the bottles and he said, he said, dad, so you got five and I got five. And I said, no, I said, we both got 10. I said, and when you understand that, then you're ready to get married until then. (laughs) Is he still single? (laughs) Yeah, he is. Okay. Okay. This is a yeah, brother. There's hope, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. There's hope that, but that, so that's really interesting too because I've done a poor job of setting expectations with my kids. My mm-hmm. kids are not disrespectful, mm-hmm. but I found myself measuring to measuring them to the standard that I was held to, okay. but not communicating the standard. Okay. Right. So, for instance, if I come downstairs and the trash can is full, that that wasn't even a thing in my house. And you know, my father that like that. I had to have been a broken leg or something like, like it had to be something that I physically couldn't do it. But my son, it doesn't even click. Right. And if I, if I tell him, I tell him, I tell him it's not him being blatantly disrespectful. Mm -hmm. He, I didn't, I didn't create the reps for him to understand what the expectation is. Cause I was too busy trying to, trying to be fun and trying to be cool. Mm-hmm. So so it, it grew this frustration of why don't you see things the way I want you to see it? All right. All right. D- did you ever have any moments with your son where that kind of crept in where you, like he just couldn't see it the way that you needed him to see it? And, and maybe it was a, a, a life lesson that, you know, yeah. he, he just yeah. wasn't it wasn't clicking. Yeah, we we had we had moments like that because my my problem was that I wanted to with time being so free time being so short mm. that I did not take the time to to teach him like you said putting in the reps. Yeah. I just I would just do it myself. And so now we can get on to something else. I'm right. not going to teach you how important it is to not leave dishes out overnight. I'm just going to wash them so we can go watch the game. Yeah. But yet there was still an expectation of you should have washed these dishes, but I never taught him. (laughs) I never taught him. It's not just me, people. No, it's not just you at all. Not just Mm. you at all. So what 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 are you most proud of when you look at your son? You have two sons, right? Yeah, two. Well, Well, let me step back. Was the first one the roadmap for the second or was the second a completely different algorithm and you had to throw you had to throw everything you learned about the first one out? No, and actually it was it the first one was the roadmap. And okay. I saw that there were a lot of things there that, that were achieved, you know, when my son wouldn't would have a problem and he didn't had some issue or had messed up somewhere along the way. Yeah. And he, he came and told me about it. And so I'm like, okay, it's working. So let yeah. me continue this with, with the second one. Yeah. 
And uh, with the second one, we recently had a, a little disagreement uh, because of, you know, what he wanted to focus on in school and what I wanted him to focus on. Mm. And then he went silent on me. And, and then I said, wait a minute. I said, just because we disagree, right? it really doesn't mean a whole lot other than we disagree. It changes nothing else. Right. Nothing. And he just had this sense of relief that came, yeah. that came over him because, okay, we don't agree. You, I still love you. I hope you still love me. Yeah. And let's just work through this. Let's just work through it. I think that's a testament to uh, communication, right? Maybe your communication style or uh, just being consistently available to your children to have these conversations because I can think back to like I, my father and I can have that dialogue now. Mm-hmm. But I would have never brought it to him, right? If I'm feeling okay. a certain way that conflicts with the way he's feeling, I never felt like I was, like the environment afforded me that luxury to gotcha. do that. So that's gotcha. that's something that I picked up on. And like I said, everything is 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 on the up and up today. But just you know, I, I was in in that regard as determined as you to make sure that my kids know that they can come to me for anything. We'll fi- we'll that's like right. the consequences don't go away, but we'll figure right. that out after we make sure that you're safe. And, uh, you know, that you're out of harm's way and, uh, you know, we correct anything that we can, that we can correct. How old, how old is your youngest son? The youngest, he turned 18 in January. 18. Yep, 18. And your oldest son is how old? He's turned 20 in last October. Oh, so they're, 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 they're close. So yeah. that, that, that will work out. Which, yeah. which one is the most like you and how? The, the, the youngest one. Okay. He's much more, much more analytical. He doesn't rush to judgment. He thinks, thinks things through. Yeah. Uh, that first one is just kind of, oh, I'll make a decision and think about it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, the youngest, the youngest one by far. Any of them taken after you in terms of profession? No, and I'm glad, glad of that, glad of that. Why? Why? Well, medicine is every every field has has a downside to mm. it. And the downside of medicine, I wouldn't want my kids to have to go through that. Wow. I would not. I would not. Wow. What 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 medical settings have you worked in? Is it always a hospital? Well, what have you done? interestingly enough, as of course, as a surgeon, you got to have an operating room. So mm-hmm. yeah, most of my practice has been hospital related. Now, I've been in a small group practice where we operated out of the, the Centera system, which is the big system in this area. Right. Then I was in solo practice for a while. Then I was a hospital employee for a while. Hmm. And now I, I work for the state uh, doing general surgery consults in the Department of Corrections. I did rural, rural surgery for a while. Wow. And uh, my goal was always to end my career doing third world medicine. Hmm. And I thought that that involved going to a third world country. Well, it's plenty of third world medicine 30 miles outside of Newport News and Hampton. Oh, wow. I didn't have to go to another country to, to, to serve people who didn't have access to health care. What do you what do you see? I'm interested in your um, your experience in the in the correctional facilities. Mm-hmm. It, how did you get there? Was that was that by choice because you wanted to serve in that capacity? How did you 
Well, actually, How did you I, end kinda, up I kind of stumbled into that because I was uh, a staff surgeon at the hospital and they, the DOC came to the hospital and said, would you mm. come out uh, one day a month and see our surgery consults and operate on them if they need it? Wow. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. And then um, things happen with uh, the availability of patients at the hospital. And, and, and I was like, you know, the malpractice rates are astronomical and yeah. going up every year. So I said, well, listen, would you all consider me doing this full time for you? And we went back and forth with that. And that's, that's how I, I came into it. So. What what do you what um very ignorant question because I I am not in the medical field. Mm. What most common surgeries that you perform can be avoided if 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 we were to take better care of ourselves specifically in the black community and specific the men if you can get that if you can narrow it to 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 that population. Like what what are we not doing that lands us in surgery um well, or do you are the majority of your surgeries because of things beyond individuals control? People are getting hurt or injured. No, the majority. See, mo most of my career, I was uh, I was involved in weight loss surgery, mm. and I did thousands, thousands of those cases. Wow! And uh, it was it was difficult to see um, not people who needed the operation, but who would have the operation mm. lose extraordinary amounts of weight and then fall off the wagon and put the weight back on. Yeah. And it became, it became depressing to me. It really did. Wow. And to the point where, um, I got to the point where I could not see follow-up patients more than one day a week because it was just too depressing and not every patient fell into that category. Yeah. But the ones who did, it, it was hard. And so yeah. what I did in, re in response to that was I opened up a, um, I started a non-surgical weight loss practice. Hmm. And uh, what I found with that was that people weren't satisfied with slow weight changes. They weren't satisfied with that. Hmm. And so it, it never really blossomed into what it could have been because it, it didn't happen quickly didn't happen quickly and then the public wasn't interested and I wasn't passing out uh, anorectics or, or drugs that make you not have an appetite I wasn't right. doing that I was promoting healthy living and regular exercise and giving them coupons to go to to the different gyms and things right. like that and they were not interested in that they wanted some pills so I can lose 30 pounds in a month, which is unreasonable weight loss, unsustainable weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. And plus we, we got so many diseases that um, losing weight would, would help. Yeah. So many sleep apnea, diabetes, and I'm not talking about 80 pounds of weight loss or more. Yeah. I'm talking about 12% of excess body weight. Hmm. And you can decrease your high blood pressure, your sleep apnea, your diabetes, arthritis, all of the 12%. That's all you need. That's all you need. Why Why are we so, and again, in my ignorant perspective, as it comes to medicine, why, why are we so averse to 
the conversation or do, or do you see that the conversation, the, the conversation, the openness to the conversation is changing throughout, you know, your practice? Have you, it, well, it, it just are, seems like we're not open to it. Well, we're open to the conversation. Now. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Mm, just like okay. we'll talk to God on the regular, but am, am I going to do anything about it? Ooh, <laughs> and okay. about it? I mean, I, I play golf. I love playing golf right. and I wanted to, I wanted to be better. So I went to take some lessons and the pro teaching pro watched me and, and he said something to me. I'll never forget. He said, I can make you better. I can make you better. He said, but you're going to have to do some things that are against your nature. Hmm. Now are you willing to do things that are against your nature? Cause I just had a natural, all of us, we just got a natural way that we choose to do things. And are you really willing to change your natural tendencies? If you are, wow. I can make you better. <clears throat> if you're not, you're going to stay at this level where you are right now. And I, and I, I've, I've had the conversation with my wife many, many times. Um, and I said, you go into a gym and when you really find out what it's going to take for you to make those body changes that you say you want, right? most people will shy away from it. They'll shy away from it. If I, you know, I, like I told her, I said, let's, let's do 200 crunches. She dismissed it. Didn't try one. You know? yeah. <laughs> so never mind 200. Right. But then when you watch people who have the kind of physique, shape, body weight that you say you want, yeah, are you willing to pay that price? Right. And I mean, I could, I could make all of us a million dollars if I could open a gym and say, look, when you leave here, you work out as little as you want, <laughs> you eat whatever you want, you go yeah. over to the Dunkin' Donuts as soon as we're done here, that gym would be packed. Yeah. Cause that's what people want to hear. So that that's the thing. Are we willing to pay that price? And yeah. most of the time the answer is no. Sounds, I mean, it seems like it's uh, on par with just general success principles, right? Every, every guru starts with the mindset shift. And if you can't get through the mental aspect, the physical aspect just won't follow. Cause the, you can't think that way. You can't think the way that you need right. to be in order to achieve the results that you want. Right. Um, I want to wind down, but I want to, I want to know how good of a patient are you? I always, always hear stories about healthcare providers being the worst patients. Yeah. You never take your own advice. How, how good of a patient are you? I am. I have areas that I could do better in. Okay. I could do better in. I mean, I, um, you know, I think that uh, I should have bought stock in Coca-Cola a long time ago, yeah. in, spite, in spite of what I know it does and doesn't mm. do. But I pick and choose, you know, okay. I'm very diligent about managing my blood pressure. So sure. I'm not as diligent about managing my cholesterol. Mm. I'm diligent about um, exercising. Gotcha. But uh, the dietary part of it, it could stand some tweaking. It's yeah. really good. Because one thing, physicians don't want another physician telling you what to do. <laughs> what to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we're not good patients. That's a, it's, that's a true statement. Yeah. Gotcha. Resources, time constraints, mm -hmm. all constraints aside, what does it look like 
for you when you've achieved the ultimate success? For me, mm -hmm. I would have to say that if I could have somebody, when they hear my name, they smile. They smile. I don't care what they say. But when they hear my name, it's a good feeling that goes along with that. That's that's success for me. That's impact. That is impact. And I think we'll uh I think we'll end it on that profound note. I do need to address my listening audience. If you're listening on the audio platforms, the podcast platforms, make sure that you're following. Make sure that you rate this podcast. If you've enjoyed the visual experience here on YouTube, what's good? Make sure that you're subscribed and your notifications are on so you know every time that content is dropping. We want to thank Dr. Eric Yancey for gracing the platform. Do you have any social media or any causes or any information you want to provide to the listening audience? Can they reach out to you or how does that work? That's a good question. I, don't, I think I'm probably the, the least tech savvy person on, on this side of the seven five seven, man. So. Well, I, I, there's some evidence that I could. Stack you. You're probably right. Okay. You're probably right. <laughs> hey, but we got but, it done. Right. Well, so I guess this. What's the what's a parting a parting piece of advice that you would give to a black father like me? I'm mid-career. I am finally identifying with my purpose. I have a family and I want to keep the important things important. What would you say to a guy like me? What I would say to a guy like you is that think about, think about what you wished had happened to you in any, any situation in your life. What do you think would have benefited you and then be that person? be that person. And therefore, whatever pain, disappointment, deficiencies, you know that you have said it stops with me and you're living a richer life. I'm just taking that one in because that is, that's probably the best advice that I've heard in a long time. Um, thank you. I My appreciate pleasure. you, man. Uh, I'm not going to hold you guys any longer. Uh, we appreciate you. God bless you. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.